Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Rob O'Hara. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Satan's Hollow. Do you know what other system, other than the Commodore 64, Satan's Hollow was almost released on? You'll find out later in this episode of the show. But before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. The first headline in the Daily Sun edition is a correction from the previous episode. CBM Nut sent me an email and let me know that the lipstick, which I talked about, is a Commodore 64 accessory. And he reminded me that the lipstick was part of the game Echelon and not Elite, which I had incorrectly stated in the previous episode. Uh, it's so funny that mentally I think of Echelon and Elite as being almost exactly the same game. <laughs> I know that they're not, uh, but they are both uh, kind of 3D-esque wireframe space games. And in my head, uh, wherever that memory allocation uh, area is, they're in the same spot. So um, anyway, uh, CBM Nut is correct that the lipstick was actually an accessory that came with Echelon. Again, uh, the lipstick was a headset that plugged into port two of your Commodore 64 and allowed you to shout the word fire while you were playing the game and it would fire uh, your your craft's missiles. Uh, you could shout pretty much anything and all it was doing was it was triggering the fire button on joystick number two. So it was an interesting little accessory that doesn't have much use other than using it with the game Echelon, but there you go. Also, I should mention that for those of you that watch my streams or are a member of my Patreon, you have heard a little bit about my dad who has been staying with me and my dad has gone home. I know that's not really uh, Commodore 64 related news, but what was interesting was while my dad was staying uh, at our home, he stayed with me for the entire month of September, uh, he got to sit here while I was doing my Wednesday night streams. And so I think uh, he is, uh, what is the right word, uh, intrigued that there is an entire ecosystem that allows me to play video games and stream that live and that other people would be interested enough in watching me play video games live. <laughs> I think uh, for people in their 70s, uh, that seems very strange. And for a man who's uh, 49 years old, sometimes it seems strange to me too. But uh, that was a, a fun experience, and so I'm glad he got to see the other side of the screen uh, while he was here. So uh, that was uh, that was a fun, fun little uh, uh, blip on the radar while he was staying with me. That was fun to do. Anyway, let's move on to this episode's Kings of the Castle. 
The song featured on the previous episode, which was Spy Hunter, was A View to a Kill by Duran Duran. Obviously, the connection was that was from a James Bond movie, and we talked about the James Bond and spy connection between James Bond and uh, Spy Hunter, which was also uh, a, uh, a spy. So, so that was a, a pretty easy connection. And boy, uh, has this month's contest cost me a fortune because before I did that, I decided that uh, every member of the King of the Castle Club would receive their own G8155 Interceptor, which is the car featured in Spy Hunter. So we gave away a lot of cars last month, and it has literally cost me a fortune. Uh, it will probably also cost me a, mo- a lot of money in uh, legal fees because all of those cars are equipped with live machine guns, missile launchers, uh, smoke machines, and oil dispensers. So uh, as I've uh, previously begged uh, all the kings of the castle, please drive responsibly with your spy hunter car. So anyway, congratulations to uh, Bill Spear, Edward Smith, Donovan Spoonfed, John Justice. Welcome back. Uh, John Justice is a longtime supporter of the show. It's good to see his name pop up. Uh, Eric Nelson, Christian Road, Andrew Evans, Dutch Boy, Tad M, Cantankerous, Joe Shrippa, Steve Shrippa, and Pixel Poldi, and Bacchus of Fairlight. So thank you to all those people who sit in. I hope you're enjoying your cars uh, in the distance. Just over here, all I can hear are engines revving and machine guns firing. So this may have not been a great idea. Also, a special shout out to Mitsuyama. I got a lot of email from people who were worried about poor Mitsuyama, uh, who was fed to the crocodiles last month, but somehow seemed to escape. And Mitsuyama uh, sent in a guess that was uh, not only very wrong this month, but uh, I believe intentionally wrong. And so I really had the, uh, I, I felt so bad putting him back on the trap door. I mean, if you saw the guy, his, his clothes are in shreds. Uh, you know, he's just covered in all the muck from the moat. And uh, I just didn't have the heart to uh, pull the trap door on him a second time. Nope, I found it in my heart to do it. So <laughs> somewhere in there, uh, I found that. So uh, everybody, uh, this he's, um, boy, he's like a bad penny. Keeps turning up down there in the moat. Don't know what, what we're going to do with that guy. So uh, anyway, uh, on with a little bit of Commodore news. I didn't dig too much into the news uh, for this episode. There is a new handy website out there called c64-tools. Dot com. If you are into the development side of Commodore 64 games, there's a lot of great tools out there. There's also a pretty handy D64 image editor that you could download and play around with. Uh, I always like to play with sprite editors and draw sprites for games that I will never, ever develop. Uh, but that's kind of fun to do. There's a sprite editor. There's some other cool stuff there, too. So if you want to look at some Commodore 64 free development tools, you can get those at c64-tools.com. Actually, what I have spent the last few days playing is this new Petsky version of Pac-Man. It's literally a version of Pac-Man for the Commodore 64 that has been drawn using only Petsky keyboard graphics, which is uh, kind of a a fun approach to Pac-Man. You know, we kind of get in a, I don't want to say a rut, but it becomes a contest of how close to the arcade version can we get when releasing games. And so something like this that takes a uh, artistic 
look at a game like that. Uh, it could, could be a fun break from that. So if you want to, if you're not tired of playing Pac-Man yet, after, gosh, 35, 40 years, uh, go give Petsky Pac-Man uh, a look. A lot of what I saw in the news over the past couple of weeks are games that are in progress. I've been watching the development of Impossible Mission 3, which will probably see the light of day next summer. Eye of the Beholder seems to be uh, imminent on its release. We're just waiting for that to come out. Uh, Captain Ishtar is a new game that was released, or not released, but announced uh, recently. So lots of stuff in the works, a lot of big titles that should be coming soon uh, for the Commodore 64. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to support my shows, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit my page. Again, that is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. And those were this week's headlines brought to you by my local paperboy who just ran into a group of Satan worshipers. That's no good. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. So last month, my buddy Jeff and his wife took my wife and myself out to dinner, and we went for the first time to a Brazilian steakhouse. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these. The one here is called Flame, but the idea of a Brazilian steakhouse, and I can't imagine that this exists actually in Brazil. Maybe it does. I don't know. Uh, But the way that these work is it is a never-ending stream of meat. So if you are uh, not a meat eater, this is not for you. Uh, When we went to the restaurant, it begins with a trip to, I thought it was a salad bar, but it's more than a salad bar. It's like the accessory bar. I mean, there was all kinds of things, not just salad. There were blocks of cheese, pieces of meat, uh, like lunch meat, uh, uh, soups, Uh, other types of salad, like fruit salad, things like that. Um, You could have made a meal, and actually I believe you're allowed to just make a meal based off those things. But once you get to your table, you will be visited by a never-ending stream of waiters who come to your table with a giant skewer with meat on it. (laughs) And there is everything from uh, lamb to... uh, I mean, name it, any kind of meat. There was chicken. There was uh, a chicken, like a bacon wrapped chicken. There was uh, pork tips. There was filet mignon. There was uh, different kinds of beef, pork, chicken, lamb, any combination of those things. Uh, And the waiters just keep coming to your table. Now, there is what looks like a poker chip that is green on one side and red on the other. So when you've had 
enough, <laughs> you may turn the chip red and they won't stop at your table. Otherwise, if your chip is green, they will, every single person that comes through the dining room will stop at your table and use a knife and their skewer to cut fresh meat off of these <laughs> large chunks of meat and leave them on your plate. Now, I uh, turned the chip over to red and everyone else at the table got upset at me and said, leave it green because they're not going to come. And I said, I know, but I have the first plate that I made that I hadn't even got through. And I had like three different types of meat on the second plate. <laughs> so I was 10 minutes away from needing any more food, but uh, apparently leaving it green is the way to go. And of course, when they do come to your table, even if your poker chip is green, uh, you could tell them, no, you want to pass right now. Uh, but that's not the talking snack of this week's episode. The talking snap was dessert. Now, uh, dessert was included in this meal. Uh, none of us felt like we could eat another bite, but they brought out these dessert samples to the table. They look so delicious that we all picked something and each of us picked something different. But the one that struck my interest the most was something called devil's food cake. Now I don't think that I've heard of devil's food cake. I've definitely heard of angels food cake, but not devil's food cake and what it was. Uh, it almost seemed like I've seen a type of cake called death by chocolate. It seemed like that it was a chocolate cake with chocolate layers, chocolate icing, uh, everything about it was very dark colored chocolate. I believe they use a, unsweetened cocoa uh, for the cake mix. And then the sweetness comes from uh, the icing in between the layers and surrounding it. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. And uh, I ate maybe a third of the piece of cake. I just literally, um, you know, had just sat for an hour with a, with people with meat skewers <laughs> dropping meat on my head. Uh, so I really couldn't do the death by chocolate, uh, you know, slice of cake, uh, called devil's food cake. I just couldn't really, um, do it justice, but it was absolutely delicious. Um, and, uh, you know, it's Halloween coming up, it's October, it's that time of year. And so whenever I see something that's called, you know, devil's food cake, you know that I'm going to pick that as the dessert. So it was, uh, it was really great. And I don't really have a recipe or anything for that yet. I don't know that that's a type of thing you should be making at your house. <laughs> I don't know that that's good to have just sitting around your house. Um, but uh, it was absolutely fantastic. That was devil's food cake. And speaking of the devil, Satan's Hollow was published for the Commodore 64 in 1984 by Commodore Business Machines Incorporated. It is a game for one or two players that uses joystick controls. Now, we've talked about CBM published games before. Uh, Commodore Business Machines actually published games from 1981 through 1985. There are a lot of games that you would not associate as being published by CBM or Commodore uh, Business Machines. For example, all the all three Zork games, uh, a lot of the Infocom games for the Commodore 64 were actually published by CBM. There are a lot of other games uh, that show up on that list. 
games that you would associate with uh, different companies. So that's uh, kind of interesting. By 1985, there was so much new software coming out for the system that they no longer needed to be in the software publishing business. Uh, this game was ported to the Commodore 64 by David Berzowski. Now, this is interesting. I've never seen his name before. And when I saw that fact, it said that his name appears on the title screen. Well, I went back and looked on the version that I had as a kid, and whoever cracked the copy that I had removed everyone's name and the credits on the loading screen and replaced it with a message that says cracked by so-and-so with a date and everything. So they removed uh, David Bersky's it's a uh, Berzowski, uh, they, but they removed his name from the title screen. So I was not familiar with his name. Now, uh, I looked him up and among other things, it says that he worked for Commodore, uh, for almost a decade and he worked on a lot of, uh, internal stuff for Commodore. So kind of interesting fellow, but this was the only game that he is credited as actually porting to the Commodore 64, which I find very strange because this is a very well done port of an arcade game to the Commodore. And I'm surprised that he didn't work on more games. Now, Satan's Hollow was originally an arcade cabinet. And normally on these types of uh, podcasts, I don't talk too much about the arcade version, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about the cabinet itself. The Satan's Hollow arcade cabinet is a large red arcade cabinet that looks like it has come from hell. <laughs> the side art is a giant picture of a red devil wearing a giant gold breastplate and he's holding a big fireball in his clawed hands. On the marquee, it says Satan's Hollow with the devil behind uh, the word Satan Hollow. They used a red joystick, and it is the same joystick that you may have seen or be familiar with from the Tron arcade game. Uh, they just colored it red. So you use the fire trigger that's on the joystick to shoot in the arcade version of the game. Uh, and then, of course, the arcade cabinet, you only have to move two directions. So it's kind of a waste of this <laughs> big, large, beautiful joystick. But uh, you only move two directions. And then there were two buttons, the fire button on the stick and another button for shields. We'll get into all that. But uh, it's definitely an arcade cabinet that makes a statement and so does this game itself On the killer list of video games, KLOV.com, there is a picture of an advertisement for this game, and I want to read the text that appears on the advertisement for Satan's Hollow. It reads, the hot new battle game that dares you to cross the blazing bridge of fire to do battle with the master of darkness, Satan of the Hollow. The Dark Scrolls warn of the perils of Satan's Hollow. He, the Prince of Darkness, reigns over an infernal underworld so abhorrent the grotesque gargoyles who safeguard his lair cower at his cloven-hooved approach. 
Tis he who rules supremely his domain by twisted swirls of flame and obedient creatures so wretched no mortal dareth traverse the bridge of death crossing the river of fire. Beware him. He is darkness. He is the omnipotent demon Lucifer. He is Satan of the hollow. <laughs> Oh, I can't tell you how much I love this. Uh, and I, the younger me loves this because you know that people came swinging <laughs> when they saw this game. Here's this giant red arcade game with pictures of Satan on both sides of the arcade cabinet with the devil himself across the marquee. It's just red and yellow, fire and flames, fireballs on the front, and this ongoing uh, advertisement that talks about uh, fighting the devil. Uh, so you just know there were people that were up in arms over this game uh, at the time. And uh, like I said, the younger me just enjoys the fact knowing that somebody was irritated <laughs> uh, by this advertising campaign. Uh, at its core, Satan's Hollow is a vertical shooter, and uh, we'll talk about how the game actually works. You will be shooting enemies that fly above head, uh, and while you are shooting those enemies, you must also build a bridge to move your craft from the main screen over into Satan's Hollow, where you will take on Satan himself. Uh, the game was originally released in arcades in 1981. It was released by Bill Adams, who worked on both Tron and Spy Hunter, so definitely some connections to previous episodes. Obviously, this is where he got the idea to use the Tron joystick from as well. Uh, in interviews, Bill has said that he was inspired by Moon Cresta and Galaga, uh, and you can see gameplay features from both of those games here. But he also says he was inspired by the Jawas from Star Wars, which is kind of a strange connection to Satan's Hollow. But uh, as the game progresses, the screen gets darker and darker and the gargoyles that you fight eventually become almost invisible. And the only thing that you can see are their two glowing eyes. And so that was a concept that he took from the Jawas from star Wars and used that in this game. Now I read some trivia that Satan's hollow was originally called Satan's master and also Satan's power. I'm not 100% sure that that trivia is true. I've seen that trivia repeated on multiple websites. However, on KLOV, again, on the arcade uh, killer list of video games, it says that those terms appear internally on ribbons and connectors inside the machine. Now, I don't know for a fact, but Satan's Hollow has multiple motherboards uh, that connect together and a power supply. And one of the connectors that goes down towards the, the power supply has the word Satan's power written on it. And the other one that goes up to the motherboard or the master PCB says Satan's master. I suspect 
that those are labels used to connect, you know, the wiring harnesses to the internal pieces of the machine. Satan's master would go up to the master PCB and Satan's power goes over to the power supply. Now, I can't disprove this other rumor that the game was originally called Satan's Master or Satan's Power. And again, uh, you can find that repeated on lots of websites. Um, but as we know, all it takes is one website to post something, and then lots of other sites will copy that information. Uh, one example of that is both Lemon64 and Moby Games list this as a one-player game only. Uh, however, the manual clearly states, and if you've looked at the title screen, that you can play one or two players. So uh, sometimes information on the internet's not always uh, correct. So I can't disprove that the game was originally uh, going to be called Satan's Master or Satan's Power. However, both of those would be odd names, for this game, and just because those appear on that wiring harness, I suspect maybe that's where that information came from. Now, one of the things I have to mention when talking about Satan's Hollow is the satanic panic of the 1980s. Now, this has been a hot podcast topic for a lot of podcasters. It's been in the news over the past couple of years revisiting the satanic panic. I did an entire episode of You Don't Know Flack about the satanic panic. It was a very real thing. Uh, there were a lot of direct ties to Dungeons and Dragons. It was seen as a evil game, a satanic game, a game that would warp the minds of children and cause them to uh, lose their minds and think they could fly and jump off buildings and all these other uh, terrible things, worship the devil. Uh, and so regardless of your stance on all those things, uh, I gotta feel like Bally Midway was playing with fire, uh, maybe literally <laughs> when they were releasing this game in 1981 in arcades. And again, on the Commodore 64 in 1984, uh, you could have put any type of character in the game. It didn't have to be the devil or Satan himself. Uh, but by putting that on there, you immediately are going to draw attention towards this title and your company. I saw online a lot of references to protests or people that complained about the game and protest the game, but I couldn't find any specific news articles or events of people protesting this game. So Maybe that is, uh, uh, you know, just a generality Like people assume that that happened and that there wasn't any actual cases of that. That kind of thing is, is hard to prove uh, 40 years later. But I don't doubt uh, that there were people that were up in arms over this game because, uh, again, uh, uh, you know, the, the imagery contained in the game is very... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's the devil uh, that you're fighting. However, I will say in Bally Midway's defense uh, that you are fighting against the devil. You're not allies with the devil in this game. I always go back to uh, there's a famous Nikki Six quote uh, where he was being interviewed about Shout at the Devil and being asked if the band Motley Crue was satanic. And Nikki Six replied and said, No, we're shouting at the devil. Not with him. <laughs> well, that's kind of a silly example, but I think the same thing applies here. 
Uh, although you are playing a game in Satan's Hollow, you are fighting against Satan and not in cahoots with him. The box manual starts off with the Commodore 64 rainbow. It says CBM, uh, and it looks like the border all the way around looks like one of those traditional blue and gray Commodore 64 uh, releases. And then you have uh, one of the greatest characters of Satan. <laughs> it is such a great uh, drawing. Uh, well, of course, uh, at the top, it says Satan's Hollow, and it has the devil. Uh, it's a very traditional-looking devil, a red face with a goatee and horns. And I believe that is directly from the arcade marquee. Uh, and then underneath Satan's Hollow, it says Battle Satan's Hordes in the Chasm of Fire. Uh, so, I mean, they were really all in on this motif. Then it says a special home version of the Bally Midway arcade game required hardware, Commodore 64 computer and joystick. So a couple of things there. Number one, uh, it was a big deal at the time to say that this is a home version of an arcade game. That was a big angle that a lot of these companies took was that you could, you didn't have to go to the arcade. You could stay at home. You could buy a Commodore 64 and then you could buy arcade games and play them at your house. So anytime there's an arcade port, you'll always see that touted also required hardware, Commodore 64 computer and joystick. Well, it seems odd that in 1984, people would be buying Commodore 64 software and not realize that you had to already own the computer, but I'll give you that. Uh, and then joystick, which I think again, because the Commodore used the Atari 2600 joysticks, I never met anybody who didn't own a joystick or two. And most people had a dozen. I know I had a pile of joysticks. Um, but, uh, you know, by saying that it's just so that, you know, you can't go home and play this, uh, on the keyboard. Now the bottom half of this has again this great drawing artwork um i it doesn't it's not airbrushed i can't tell maybe it's like colored pencils or watercolors uh there's a picture of satan with these kind of weird big ears that almost make him look like like a sea creature but he's red it's obviously the devil <laughs> he has horns uh and it's at this weird angle where you're looking up at him and he's only shown for the torso up and he's holding this big golden trident um which is again kind of an odd thing i mean it's a it's a pitchfork uh but it's it's more trident than pitchfork but regardless, uh, once you've played the game, you'll know why he's holding it, because later he will be hurling these at you. Now, the back has uh, the word Satan's Hollow at the top. There are four screenshots that, again, I don't believe these are real screenshots. I believe these are artistic mock-ups, uh, because they they just don't look exactly like the Commodore version and they don't look like the arcade version. So I think these may be mocked up uh, photos, but there are four different little blurbs. I'll read them very quickly. Uh, the first one says the devil holds back nothing as he sends all of his evil servants after you battle pterodactyls and demons. Try to build a bridge across the moat of lava to enter Satan's hollow. 10 different attack patterns increase the righteous challenge. This is the most interesting of the four blurbs uh, because right off the bat, 
it says you'll be battling pterodactyls and demons. But they're not pterodactyls, they're gargoyles. And the manual calls them by gargoyles, and the arcade version, they are gargoyles. So they are definitely gargoyles. Uh, so it's very interesting to me that the back of it gets it wrong and calls them pterodactyls when they are not uh, pterodactyls. Another thing, and this is just a slight difference, but it says uh, build a bridge across the moat of lava to enter Satan's Hollow. Well, it's referred to as uh, here as a moat. In other places, it's referred to as a river. Sometimes it's called a river of fire, and sometimes it's referred to as a river of lava. I mean, those are all semantics. We we get the idea, and when you play the game, you can see uh, that there is a fiery section that you're going to have to cross and build a bridge to get across. But it's just weird that the terminology is not uniform in these things. You would think whoever wrote the box uh, the verbiage for the box would write the verbiage for the manual and in the instructions in the game. So it's just strange how they, they get out of sync. The second one says, brave the firebombs and balls of lava hurled by the devil's henchmen. Face Beelzebub's cascade of fire. Beelzebub is elusive and dangerous as he hovers menacingly, breathing fire. Uh, again, it says they're throwing balls of lava, but they're not it's not called that they're called egg bombers uh, in the manual. So just a little bit of a discrepancy. The third one says cross the bridge and your opponent is Satan himself. You now must dodge deadly pitchforks and spiraling fireballs to survive great arcade excitement, outstanding graphics and sound make this a winner. Well, no complaints there. One or two player action makes it fun to compete against each other. Beginner's level allows you to practice easy attack patterns before doing battle with the real tough ones. Um, so this game does f uh, feature different attack patterns, kind of like if you think about Galaga, how the the enemies enter the screen, how they fly in different uh, attack patterns. And this game is the same. And uh, there are easy ones and there are more advanced ones. And so in the easy version of the game, it just doesn't present you with the more difficult ones uh, to handle. So a little bit of uh, information. There is some information that doesn't quite line up uh, with the rest of the stuff that we get. But uh, but for the most part, uh, everything there is is informative. When you load the game, we will come up to the title screen, and this is the first time that we hear this blurb from Flight of the Valkyries. Actually, I have already played it at this point in the podcast. Um, but the Flight of the Valkyries, that little musical section, it doesn't play the whole song, but it just plays that little segment, and you will hear that a few times throughout the game. Uh, but we get it right here in the title screen. We also get the words Satan's Hollow in animated ASCII characters. So this is these little tiny fireballs and the word Satan's Hollow is drawn out one letter at a time. Uh, it's a, it's an okay effect and it passes today. It looks pretty cheap today. It, it wouldn't, uh, uh, 
in a modern game, this isn't something that they would do. But at the time, uh, it's good enough for getting us past the title screen into the game. Uh, we have copyright information, 1981, Bally Midway, 1984 by Commodore. And then we have David Berzowski's name, uh, which uh, good for him. I'm glad that he got credit uh, for porting this game over to the Commodore 64 because, again, this is a really good uh, arcade port to the C64. Uh, here we have a uh, one or two. You can press one or two from this menu to uh, start a one or two player game. Also, you will use the joysticks in ports one and two. So you can press the button of the joystick in port one to start a one player game or the button in joystick two uh, or port the joystick in port two to start a two player game. Uh, F1 will be standard controls and F3 is alternate controls. Now, what does that mean? Uh, the arcade version of Satan's Hollow has two buttons. One fires uh, your missiles up towards your enemies, and the other one employs your shield. Now, in the Commodore, of course, we only have one fire button. So in this version, the fire button on the joystick fires your missiles. And if you press the joystick up or down and hold it up or down, that will turn your shields on. Now, your shields run out very quickly. Uh, we'll talk about the shields uh, momentarily. But if you press, uh, that's the default control system. If you press F3, it swaps those things. So pressing up on the joystick or down on the joystick uh, fires your missiles and the fire button itself does your shield. Uh, I don't know why anybody would play the game that way because you don't use the shield. I mean, I mean, you do kind of use the shield a lot, I guess, but it's much easier to use the fire button because you're going to be firing the entire game. Uh, so you would have to hold up or down and move left or right the entire game. Uh, so I just don't see that control system as working very well. Uh, from the title screen, you can also change uh, between easy and normal modes. F5 will select easy mode, and F7 will start the game in normal mode. Uh, standard controls and normal mode are the default settings, so you would have to change those settings if you wanted to try uh, one of the other ways. Uh, once the game starts, so you press, uh, again, you press the fire button to begin the game. Uh, you will hear the flight of the Valkyrie music. Once again, uh, they got their, their mileage out of, uh, that little musical blurb. You will see a very colorful backdrop in this game. There is a lake. You will see trees. There is a purple and blue sky. It's uh, the beginning of a sunset. Uh, there is a path. On the right-hand side, that leads up to a castle that's on the top of this mountain. On the far right, we have that river of lava or fire, whatever you decide it is. Uh, on the very, very top, you have your score and also the high score. Uh, whoever's got the highest score in the game is presented up there. Uh, at the very top uh, of the or the top half, you will see the gargoyles who are swirling around and will be shooting down towards you. Uh, and at the bottom is us. And we are controlling a bridge builder slash firing cannon, uh, which as I was reading the manual this week, it kind of struck me as odd. Like, like when's the last time you saw a dump truck that also had missile launcher on it? <laughs> you know, it just seems like this is two different pieces of machinery that would be needed here. One to build bridges and one to fire rockets. But, I suppose, um, uh, you know, when you got to cut corners, you just build both of those things into one machine. 
Now, the controls, as I mentioned, are fairly simple. Left and right on the joystick moves your cannon left and right. The button fires. Again, this is in the default uh, configuration. And pressing up or down uh, turns on your shields. You have to hold the button or hold the joystick up or down to keep your shields on. There is a number at the bottom that shows how much shields you have left. It starts at 15 and it takes about one second for them to go from 15 to zero, at which point your shields will turn off. Now, the minute you stop using your shields, they build back up to 15 pretty quickly. So the strategy is not to run your shields down to zero all the time, but just bump them on the short moments when you need to use your shields. And again, as I mentioned before, you could reverse uh, those controls so that the shields are controlled by the fire button and that the firing of your missiles is done by pressing the joystick up or down. The game itself, once you begin to play it, it dawns on you that this game is a lot like Galaga. Now, it doesn't look like Galaga, and when you, people first saw this game, or when I first saw this game, I didn't think it looked like Galaga because it doesn't look like Galaga because it's not in outer space. And so all those early arcade games in the 1980s were all set in outer space. And I believe that was because it was a lot easier to keep the background black. So in Space Invaders and Galaga and Galaxian and all those types of games, the background was black. Asteroids. You know, it goes on and on, right? So this is a same type of game, but just by changing the backdrop and putting it in a different setting, it feels like a different type of game, or it looks, let's say, like a different type of game. But the goal, just like those games, is to shoot the enemies that are ahead. Uh, the gargoyles will fly around in multiple patterns. The patterns get more complex the further you get in the game. Each time you shoot a gargoyle, you a, a piece of the bridge will appear on the left-hand side. You'll need to move to the left-hand side of the screen, pick up a piece of the bridge, move to the right-hand side. Over there, you will see the river of lava. And once you touch that, it will drop off a piece of the bridge. Now, you can't build up two pieces of bridge at the same time. There will, You can only have one available on the left-hand side. So if you shoot five gargoyles in a row, there will still only be one bridge piece waiting for you on the left-hand side. So uh, that that becomes uh, a challenge. You know, in the easier levels, you want to shoot a gargoyle, get the, the bridge, and move those over as quickly as possible. Now, when you uh, clear a stage of all the gargoyles, you will see another gargoyle flying across and putting a flag on top of the castle. Now, you don't get points for that until you have completed the bridge and move over into Satan's Hollow, and that will bring you to the second part of the game. So once the bridge is complete, you can move to the far right um, side, go over the bridge, and it will swap over to a second screen, and there you will face Satan. He will be flying around and throwing uh, pitchforks or tridents down at you. Your shields don't work 
on this screen, so you'll have to just dodge the pitchforks. But basically what you want to do is time your first couple of shots where when he swoops in, you will shoot him immediately. <laughs> uh, because the longer it goes, the faster he moves on that screen, and uh, it gets to a point where you won't survive for long. Uh, dodging his attacks. So you, you definitely want to try to take him out as quickly as possible. Now, once you do that, you will get a thousand point bonus for each flag that you have built up on the castle. So that is the way to really stack and score points in this game. And once you've defeated him, you return back to the first screen and it moves you to uh, the next level, which is also the next attack pattern. Now, there are multiple types of enemies you will face on that first screen. There are gargoyles, and there are different types of gargoyles. Uh, there are the ones that just pretty much follow the pattern the entire time, whatever that pattern is. The first one is like two uh, circles, and they just kind of uh, – there's two groups of gargoyles, and they just fly in circles. Um, and it gets much more complicated. Uh, and the manual actually has names for all them, like there's a heart uh, pattern. There's a figure eight pattern, so on and so forth. Um, now some of those gargoyles will dive bomb you. And those are referred to in the manual as dive bombers. Uh, there's also bridge bombers who will drop little uh, bombs to try to blow up the bridge and take out sections that you've already built. Uh, and then there are egg throwers. Now I think this is what, uh, they were referring to on the manual or on the rear of the box. Uh, but egg throwers will throw down these eggs that will basically it's, it's like a little bomb and it will create a width of the screen in fire and you can't cross it. Uh, and that is, if you're in the center of the screen, it's not that much of a problem, but if you find yourself pinned like up against the edge and then one of those comes near you, there's nowhere for you to go. And even if you survive that bombing, the gargoyles are going to shoot you and uh, there's no way to avoid the incoming shots. So um, you, you got you to gotta avoid those. There are also dive bombing gargoyles that will come down and actually steal your remaining extra men. Now, I always find it interesting when a game kind of breaks the fourth wall and that's really what they're doing here. So as you're fighting gargoyles, you're shooting all these things, you're building the bridge, uh, you're fighting, you know, Satan, uh, there will be gargoyles that will come down and grab one of your extra men off the bottom of the screen and fly up <laughs> towards the top and steal your extra men. So you have to shoot him uh, and don't let him escape with your extra man or you lose one of your men, which is um, not very fair. Uh, and then again, you are you know, fighting the Lord of the underworld. So I suppose fairness, uh, is a, a relative term. Now, uh, you will also on the first screen, not the second screen on the first screen in between some of the levels, you will face a disembodied head. It will just appear and it will breathe down this line of fire as, as it flies around in a pattern it can be difficult to avoid how your shields do work uh, when this guy comes in. Now, they are there are three different ones. It's, it's pretty difficult to tell the difference between them, especially if you're not super familiar with this game. But they are referred to in the manual as Lucifer, Old Nick, and Beelzebub. Now, those are all technically different from the Satan that you will face 
later on screen two in Satan's Hollow. Uh, but uh, these are also worth big points. Um, so you definitely want to shoot them. And actually, you don't have an option. <laughs> you have to shoot him. Otherwise, he will burn you and you will die. Uh, so again, once uh, you have uh, uh, you know defeated these guys, you've defeated gargoyles. Once you build your bridge, you go over to Satan's Hollow. That's where you face Satan. Uh, once you defeat him, it goes back to the first screen, and all of this starts all over again. Now, one thing you will notice as you move through the levels is that the background will begin becoming more and more dim. The colors will get darker. Eventually it will turn completely night. And then at that point, like I mentioned, the gargoyles are completely impossible to see at that point. All you will see are these glowing eyes. Uh, the game is hard enough to play when you can see the gargoyles. <laughs> uh, and the gargoyles aren't that easy to see in the first place. They're a light green on the uh, Commodore 64 palette. They're the light green color. And the background has blues and purples. So it all kind of blurs together. So you have to pay attention to see where the gargoyles are in the first place. Uh, and then when they get gets darker and darker, it's it's just an unnecessary level of difficulty in this game. This game is uh, is already hard enough. Uh, there are some gameplay strategic hints in the manual, and uh, there's like three pages of them, so I'm not going to read all those, but there were a couple that I thought were interesting. Uh, and one says... Uh, I mean, I thought this one was obvious, but it says one of the most important things to do is protect your extra bases from being stolen. Uh, it gets very uh, easy to focus on. This is a game where you have to focus on a couple things at the same time at all times. You always have to be watching the gargoyles at the top and shooting those while moving left to right and building the bridge. So you're doing two things at the same time. And so because you're doing that, it's easy for a third to happen that you don't notice the third being one of the gargoyles coming down and stealing your extra man. So you always have to watch out for that. Uh, there's also a hint that says you can pick up the bridge piece on the left and deliver it to the right while the bonus flag is being flown overhead. Now this is a great idea because at the end of each level, like I said, the gargoyle uh, will fly a flag across the screen and stag it on top of the castle. But while he's doing that, you can't shoot and no one is shooting at you. So that's a great opportunity to go pick up the bridge piece and run it over to the other side of the bridge safely while there are no enemies on the screen. So I thought that was uh, a really interesting tip from the programmer. Now, going from the highest points to the lowest uh, by defeating Satan... In the game, you get a 1,000 points, and also we talked about the three devils that show up on the main screen in between levels. Lucifer is also worth a 1,000 points. Old Nick is 500, and Beelzebub is 250. Now, the egg throwers and the bridge bombers are each worth 225 points. That is a very specific and strange number, 225 Gargoyles are worth 120 points. <laughs> that's another uh, strange total, but uh, that's what we have. 
The flags, when they come across, are a thousand points. Now, if you get far enough in the game, you will see red flags, and those are worth 10,000 points. And then, if you get really far in the game, and I've never personally seen these, there are red flags with a white dot in the middle, and those are actually worth 50,000 points. That would be higher than my score is ever <laughs> in this game. Uh, you get one extra ship at 10,000 points, and that is the only opportunity to obtain an extra man. So like Donkey Kong and some of those other games, uh, you can get one extra player, but that is it. Now, uh, a couple of trivia things that I found that I thought were interesting. One is that the arcade version of this game appears in the 1983 movie Joysticks. I don't know if you saw that movie. I saw that movie. Uh, it is a guilty pleasure. Uh, I didn't see it at the time. Uh, I believe it's R-rated for uh, some uh, topless female arcade action. Hard to argue with that, I guess, uh, rating. But uh, in the in the movie... Two of the guys. One is uh, the main, the main guy, uh, Jonathan, and the other guy is King Vidiot, uh, which is interesting because I think Vidiot is a term that was later used by Weird Al, uh, <laughs> uh, and but I think this predates it. But anyway, uh, they have a game competition in the arcade, and they play Satan's Hollow against each other. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, the reviews there, I couldn't find a lot of magazine reviews. Maybe this game was too hot to touch <laughs> at the time, but lemon 64 has a combined total of 7.7. If you read through the reader reviews and ratings, they all say exactly the same thing, which is this is a really good version of an arcade game. Now, I've said this multiple times, uh, that it started in the arcade in 1981. Uh, it was ported to the Commodore 64 in 1984, but there was another port made for the Atari 8-bit line. Uh, it was ported and, I guess, completed for the Atari 8-bit computers as well as the Atari 5200. Uh, those ports were supposed to be produced by CBS, but at the last minute, they became unreleased. I don't know why. I don't know if that was from pressure. I don't know if they thought that the ship has sailed on this game, but for whatever reason, they were not officially released for the Atari uh, computer or console line. Now, the computer port ended up being leaked. And so you can download, find, and play this game on Atari computers, but it was never officially sold in stores. If you want to play this on something other than the Commodore 64, it appeared on several of the Midway Classics compilations, which were released on uh, lots of home consoles like PlayStation, GameCube, Xbox, uh, so on and so forth. So if you want to play the arcade version, you can look up those Midway Arcade Classic compilations. If you'd like to own the Commodore 64 version of this, you may have to sell your soul to the devil to afford it. There are two copies available on eBay at the moment. They are both floppy disk only. So no box, no manual, 
just disc only. One is available for $123.50. The other one is in Italy, and it is $96.88 plus $20 shipping. So both of those are about $125. There are no copies that have recently sold on eBay, so I can't tell you what it normally sells for, but based on those two prices, it looks like this would be a very expensive retro title to pick up. And now, let's talk about my personal memories of playing Satan's Hollow. If you want a kid to read a book, tell him it's on the banned list. (laughs) That worked for me as a kid. Anything that I was told not to listen to, not to watch, not to read, those were the things that immediately piqued my interest. Now, my parents, uh, in their defense, never told me not to do any of those things. My parents told me anything I was uh, old enough to, to physically read, I was allowed to read anything I was uh, could listen to, anything I wanted to listen to, they let me listen to. There was a, uh, a time where I asked my parents, I said, can I listen to Ozzy Osbourne? And they said, you have straight A's. <laughs> they said, you know, if we see you, you know, biting the heads off of bats or, or uh, foaming at the mouth, we'll talk about it. But until then, we're fine with you listening uh, to Ozzy Osbourne. So uh, my parents were, were always... Uh, pretty liberal in the the type of content uh, that I was allowed to consume. But even that being said, uh, anything that in the media that was advertised as being controversial, that's what kids gravitate towards. That's what, I mean, certainly worked that way with me when I heard that Dungeons and Dragons was this terrible, scary thing. Uh, within a couple of weeks, we owned a copy of it in our house. In fact, our entire family played Dungeons and Dragons together at least one time, uh, just so we could see what all the fuss was about. So when you walk into an arcade and you see uh, Pac-Man, you know, the actual Pac-Man cabinet, a blue cabinet uh, or yellow cabinet, you know, and I'm in Miss Pac-Man blue cabinet uh, with this artwork of Pac-Man on the side or or you see Donkey Kong and it has this, uh, you know, giant gorilla and, he, and he's carrying Pauline. Uh, those are, you know, will draw your attention. But when you see Satan's Hollow, <laughs> it's just such a great cabinet. Uh, again, you've got this giant artwork of the devil on the side. It's, it's reds and yellows, which are colors that I like anyway. Um, and it just has this, uh, dangerous appeal. You know, you just, uh, you, you could f- see the fire. You hear this music that you recognize. It just feels like an epic game. Now there were lots of arcade ports, that made it home to the Commodore 64 that weren't necessarily great. They might've captured the essence of a game, but not all the details, but Satan's hollow. The art, the Commodore version is so good. It's so close to the arcade version that when we got it, this was the type of stuff that I knew the Commodore 64 could do. And I knew that this was uh, not the first, because I think Donkey Kong for me was the first, but this was one of the first 
arcade games ported to the Commodore 64 where I thought this is just as good as the arcade. I don't need to go to the arcade uh, to play this. Now, there were lots of games that weren't like that. If you think of something like Dragon's Lair or, you know, any Laserdisc game, that's that's right off. Um, but, uh, you know, four-player games like Gauntlet or things like that where the arcade version was just better. And there were lots of arcade games that didn't make it to the Commodore 64. But ones like this, um, when you played the Commodore 64 version of Satan's Hollow, to me, it was just as good as the arcade version. I, I didn't it wasn't like I played it at home and thought, oh, man, now this makes me want to go to the arcade. It it was like, I own the arcade. I have the arcade game here at the house. Uh, and so, uh, you know, combine that, you know, a, a vertical shooter game, which was popular at the time, with these disembodied devil heads <laughs> that would come in and breathe fire and throw pitchforks at you and stuff. It was just a great combination. It was definitely something that had our attention. I mean, that played to the young, definitely the teenage boy um, group. And I don't, I don't know if girls, uh, I'm sure some were, but you know, you just get this, you know, this mental image of like the young teenage boy, like, oh yeah, uh, this is my kind of game. And I was that kid. If I walked into an arcade, I would have said, oh yeah. This is my kind of game. And so getting Satan's Hollow at home, I remember playing this game a lot on the Commodore 64. And again, uh, I'm kind of repeating myself, but it just felt like this is an arcade game come home. For graphics, I give Satan's Hollow five out of five gargoyles. It looks essentially just like the arcade game. For music, I also give it 5 out of 5. The Flight of the Valkyries version that appears here sounds terrific, and that is the same music that appears in the arcade version. For sound effects, I will also give it 5 out of 5. This is a faithful reproduction of the arcade, which brings us to the overall gameplay. I give Satan's Hollow 5 out of 5. I can't say this is the most advanced or greatest Commodore 64 game, but this is one of the most faithful ports of an arcade game to come home to the Commodore 64, and that made it great. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. Special thanks to Patman QC's YouTube videos, which I often find myself watching to find out information about games. And he has a specifically terrific video about Satan's Hollow. If you'd like to find out more about this game, go to YouTube and look up Patman, that's P-A-T-M-A-N-Q-C. He has a channel on YouTube with lots of history of video game videos, and he has one about Satan's Hollow that is absolutely fantastic. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. All supporters of my podcast on Patreon get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord, and other additional perks. Support tiers start at just $2 a month. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. 
Spridecast is available from iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, the RSS feed at podcast.robohair.com, and through the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, like You Don't Know Flack, Like a Doss, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohair.com for more information and links to these shows. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to building bridges, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. Finally, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Patreon listeners like these. For my 8-bit supporters, that includes Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Chris Fold, C-Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Hebe, Daniel Jaleppa, Dave Velociraptor, Dave Zilly, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stranisi, Extent to the Jam, Gabe DeGenero, Garrett Elier, Gary Heather, Hacker Radio, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warrens, John Motocar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Matthew Peron, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Nathan Dagenhart, Olav Hope, Patrick Markey, Paul Morano, Petzl, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Robbie Ray, Robot Doctor 82, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Bird, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gossie, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. And for my 16-bit supporters, Bill Spear, Boatshead Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Drone Doctor, Edward Smith, Graham Vebke, Joe Sharippa, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Michael Ryan, Paul Nermix Nermanen, Rick Reynolds, John Hudson Mackay and Scott Van Dresen, Steve Sharippa, Vintage Volts, Zyke, and Mr. Wacky. You need to move to the far left side of the screen, pick up a piece of the bridge, move to the far right side of the screen where the liver, uh, the liver, <laughs> <coughs> my liver.